Well, hello again, everyone. Uh, my name is James. I'm the pastor of Wellspring. Uh, if you're here for the first time, it's really good to have you with us. And if you're here for, I know, the 50,000th time, like some people are, it's really good to have you with us as well. Uh, <laughs> that welcome doesn't stop <laughs> just because you've been here a couple of times. Uh, we're on our third week of the cross of Jesus, and the last couple of weeks, we've we've really focused on kind of what the cross wasn't, um, you know, to... to plant some good seeds, you first have to kind of tear up the earth. Um, I probably shouldn't use ecological metaphors because I don't really understand how plants work, but that's my, you have to till the soil, that's the thing you have to do. So we've tilled a bunch of soil, and we've talked about the cross wasn't, and the cross wasn't a punishment from God, it wasn't God punishing Jesus, and we've talked about the cross wasn't abandonment from God, it wasn't God abandoning Jesus. Uh, and if you're already a bit lost, and that feels like quite a lot, I would encourage you to look at the first couple of sermons um, or shoot me a message. We can chat about them. Uh, I, and I'll say thank you for uh, the encouragement I've received from people this week. Uh, I know it's certainly been uh, quite challenging for people to have some of those those views and those beliefs that we've held for a while been churned around a little bit. But I, I hope you know it's, it's all done so that we can draw nearer to God and have a, a better understanding of God's love. Uh, it's not easy to have those those beliefs uprooted, but I think it's worth it. Uh, but yeah, we've had a couple of weeks of deconstruction, and now we're going to have a couple of weeks of reconstruction. So we've got that to look forward to. Um, but all of this, the point of all of this, remember, is to is to show that God is love. I know ifs, no buts. God is love, but nothing. And I, I will say, uh, amidst the very kind uh, words that I received in the last week, there the was a question that kept on coming up. Because <laughs> after learning that God didn't have to punish Jesus for our sins to be forgiven, uh, people have now said, well, why did Jesus die? That's a, it's a question that's been coming up quite a lot this week. If he didn't need to die to take the punishment for my sins, then then why did he die at all? How are my sins atoned for if it wasn't through this vicarious punishment? And this is a really, really good question, guys. This is a, a fantastic question, actually. It's a brilliant question. And the good news is it's a question that I don't have the answer to. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Like, <laughs> you watching this being like, yeah, thanks, James. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm supposed to know these things. It's kind of uh, my role. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to have these answers and, and hopefully uh, distill them and make it clearer and and help you. Uh, I know that if you went to a doctor and they just said, yeah, I have no idea, <laughs> you probably wouldn't think that they were a very good doctor. And here's a pastor telling you he's not quite sure why Jesus died. And I promise you, this isn't because I haven't thought about it. I've, um, uh, I got I got a lot of notes for this series. I have so many sermons worth of leftover notes from this series uh, because I love it, and and I I want to know more, and I want everyone else to know more because I want everyone else to know God more and love God more. But the truth is, I I, I don't really I don't know. I can't work it out. But, but I also think that not knowing is okay. I think it's okay to be in a place where we can say, you know what, I, I don't quite understand this. But, but I know that God is love. But I might not quite understand how this works. I think that's okay. 
because there's been like theories and guesses as to like why Jesus had to die and how atonement worked for like at least 1800 years, like close to 1900. Um, the first 50 years, like no one cared. They're just like, yeah, you beat death. <laughs> there we go. There's your reason. Uh, but of course, we have to overthink these things now. Uh, but we've been arguing about it a while. And as I say, I think not knowing is okay. I think being humble about these things is okay. But before, but, but I mean, we're still going to talk about it a little bit. So I do have some pieces for you today, which I think will help reconstruct, that I think will be helpful. Um, but before I do that, we need to talk about atonement for a second, just a brief moment. Because it's really important how we define the term atonement. Um, I'm not sure what images that conjures up for you. Like when I say the word atonement, what's the like what's the thing that you think of? Because there's a good chance whatever you're thinking of now is is probably a result of uh, religiosity and not what the word itself actually means. I, I think when I think about atonement, I'm more thinking about penance. I'm thinking about you know the work that has to be done to make things right. I think about uh, the labors of Hercules, for example. Uh, Hercules did a bad thing and he felt really bad, and the gods said, "Well, if you do enough tasks, then you know you'll have earned your atonement. You'll be granted atonement." Uh, and that's that's kind of how I think it's. It's really uh, requires a lot of work. Which isn't necessarily true, but interestingly, uh, the word is really, really simple. It's like the most basic word in the world. Uh, it's not really particularly loaded. Do you know, like the meaning of atonement, like the etymology, how we got the word atonement? Uh, it's it literally the sum of its parts. Like it literally means at one moment. That's that's all it is. At one moment. So atonement isn't about these like Herculean tasks that you have to overcome to be reconciled. It's, it's just being at one. It's being at one. And at the beginning, we were at one with God. That's the point. That's the story. That's where the story begins. We were at one with God, and, and sin and things got in the way of that. And we were separate for a while. Uh, but now, because of forgiveness, we are at one again. You see, like... This, this is literally all the word means. I promise you I'm not making this up. I know this sounds like something that someone would make up, but look it up. It's really interesting. But I do agree, and I do think that for true atonement, that everything does need to be forgiven. We can't really be at one if there's still antipathy or animosity or, or unforgiveness uh, between us, between us and God. So for true atonement, everything does have to be forgiven. We'll get back to that in a, in a second, but, but this question, why did Jesus die? When, when we ask that, we're kind of asking, what is this cosmic algorithm? Like, what is, what are the, like, the code of the matrix that I have to understand that, like, X plus Y equals atonement? Like, what's the X and what's the Y? How does it all fall into place? And I don't know. <laughs> That's the part I really don't know. But, we're going to spend a couple of weeks trying to work it out together. So, the the first thing is like when people say, "Well, why did Jesus die?" Um, in in the gentlest way, uh, I just have to say, "Look, if you, have you read the Gospels?" That sounds like really um, you know, like uh, argumentative or combative. But but if you read the Gospels, there's no way this story ends in the other way. 
like read it before the crucifixion there's there's no surprises that jesus life ends the way that it does we're continuously told that people with power want to hurt jesus who is someone with really relatively little power uh, we're told how jesus pours himself out how jesus makes himself nothing how he takes on the form of the slave we're told how power isn't something that he desperately clings on to we have continual reminders that powerful people want a powerless man dead. <laughs> so, so why are we surprised at what happens? Perhaps more importantly than those things, one of the central themes of the Gospels is the centrality of love and also the cost of love. Um, John 15, 9 to 13, I'll, I'll read this out for you. Uh, this is at the Last Supper. This is Jesus sharing uh, some kind of last words of wisdom with his friends. Uh, it says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete. My joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater life has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So given what Jesus has said there, do you not think that maybe these words sort of lose their potency a little if Jesus, in his divine power, listens to those mockers on the cross? Yeah, why don't you take yourself down? And Jesus goes, you know what, that's a good idea, and pops himself down and heads back to Nazareth and restarts the carpentry business and settles down and has a couple of kids and dies at the ripe old age of like 57 or whatever people died of back then. This story doesn't have quite the same punch, does it? Jesus came most of all, most of all, to show us what love looked like. He told us that greater love has no one than laying down their life for their friends. How could this story end any other way? And, and we see sacrifices a lot. I mean, we see sacrifices in the news all the time. Uh, to save someone from a fire, a fireman will, will lose their life because they put someone else first until it kills them. And there's no wrath there. Like, the fire isn't punishing the fireman. Uh, it's just that sometimes love really, really costs. Love costs because it promises to put others before ourselves despite that cost jesus puts others first until it kills him like this this couldn't have ended any other way like, how could we be at one with god unless god is willing to show us how desperately he wants to be at one with us Um, and there's probably going to be some people to be like, that feels a little bit unsatisfactory, James. Uh, that's, that's a nice story, but really, does that make Jesus different from any other martyr? Uh, someone who lived in a way that put other people first, what makes Jesus different? Uh, and I'd say 
partially you're a little bit right because I don't have the answers, remember. <laughs> but I do want to push back on that a little bit and say one of the reasons Jesus died the way that he did is the turmoil that is caused by the unveiling of the kingdom and the way that it's always an affront to those in power. What is so unique here is that divinity has taken on the form of a slave. This is more than a martyr's death because it's like it's God dying. So there's there's a lot happening there. So it's it's more than just a martyr's death that happens. It's, it's this ultimate example of what love is, of always willing to put other people first. That greater love has no one than what Jesus has showed us that he is willing to do. There's something else that struck me this week, and I, and I keep on coming back to it when I think about you know why Jesus died, and and more to the point, I guess the kind of the fixation here is like why did Jesus have to die the way that he did? Why did it have to be so violent and so abusive? Why did it have to be so unjust at the hands of those with power? Why does it have to be? <laughs> by the abandonment of some of their, his closest friends. Why does it have to be like that? Why does it have to be so ugly? Because we focus on that, don't we? I mean, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of focus on the, the horror of the cross and the brutality of the cross. And then, unfortunately, we kind of make this leap. It's like, and it was your sin that put him there. And it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's a bit harsh, actually. You know, the, the four-year-old that doesn't really know right from wrong, I don't think is responsible for, like, hammering the nails into the wrists of the beloved king. But we can't escape from the brutality of the cross. And so so I think there has to be something significant about that. But but I think and this is this is something I've been thinking about this week. And uh, uh Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, is, is someone who really leans into this idea as well. So I promise I'm just making this up. Um the way that he says that everything can be forgiven. The only way that everything can be forgiven is for Jesus to be subject to every human wound. The only way for everything to be forgiven is for Jesus to be subject to every human wound. Because think about this, to to forgive someone in a way that brings true reconciliation to both the offender and the offended, you probably have to have been the victim of their cruelty or their mistakes or their errors. Uh, like most of you will know that I'm a part of the Dismas Fellowship, which is a group for uh, folks who have been incarcerated or are still incarcerated. And and I really love being part of that group, and I get to love people that other folks might find it hard to love. And we get to say, no matter what you've done, I think you're valuable, you're lovable, you're created in the image and likeness of God, and, and nothing can take that away from you. And I can forgive them for the disharmony that their crimes may have caused society, and I can forgive them for maybe the way that I feel let down by what they've done. Uh, but the only ones that can truly forgive them are those that they wounded in the first place. You see what I mean? For there to be true reconciliation, for there to be true at one uh, the victim has to be the one saying that you're forgiven. 
And the perpetrator has to want it as well. That's a whole other thing. Like to, to lean into this a little bit more, I suppose. Uh, like as a white person, I can't I can't forgive or bring restoration to a racist hate crime. Like I am I am able to love everyone there, uh, but I, I can't bring at one moment uh, to the wounded and the wounder there. Like as a man, I can't forgive or bring restoration or reconciliation to a misogynist hate crime. Uh, only the female victim uh, can do that. Like I'm not, I'm just not close enough to it. I have too much power, um, so I can't be the one that brings out one between the oppressor and the oppressed. Only the victim can do that. But here's the thing, and this is uh, take take this. If you take nothing away this week, take this. Uh, on the cross, uh, Jesus is the ultimate victim. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate victim. He's the victim of abuse. He's the victim of physical assault, of sexual assault. Uh, he's the victim of colonial power. He's the victim of religious dominance and oppression. Jesus on the cross is the ultimate victim, and and yet he forgives. And I think this is really important because uh, I think it's hard. The, the idea of, um, for, for a lot of folks, the idea of God forgiving those who have wounded them is really difficult because, because they're still carrying those wounds and God feels a little bit too distant. God feels a little bit too powerful. Uh, it feels like things are a little too good in heaven for him to then be able to forgive someone for something that has hurt you so badly. Like, <laughs> this kind of, how dare you, God? Like, you don't know what I've been through. <laughs> I think that God forgiving from his heavenly throne is one thing, but I think that Jesus forgiving from his cruciform throne is quite another. Because in that moment, Jesus' ultimate victim says, forgive them, Father, Forgive the mockers, Father. Forgive the soldiers, Father. Forgive the criminal that scoffs and forgive the criminal that begs that I remember him. Forgive Judas who sold me over and forgive Peter who, who ran away. Forgive the religious authorities with their blind ideals of, of what religion should look like and and forgive the empire that put me here and forgive the empire that rules it. Like, forgive it all. I've been victim to it all and I forgive it all. Forgive the oppressor, Lord. Forgive the oppressed too. Forgive those sins that have been committed. Forgive the sins that are to come. And when, and when Jesus like shares these words, uh, they, they echo throughout eternity. And they're, they're words that say, say, to, say to us at, a, at our worst, I suppose. But yes, you have hurt me, uh, but, but that doesn't mean that it's over. I still love you. I still forgive you. And, and we know that this love that Jesus shows, it's, it's free of delusion or, or childish idealism because it has cost so much. 
but it's a love that knows our weaknesses and it still says, I love you. It's a love and it's at one moment that, that Paul talks about uh, that can't be undone by distraction or demon or death. That is the love that Jesus has for all people. Greater love has no man than this, has no one than this. Let, let me finish with this. Because I think it bridges this week and next week. I I, I still don't know the mechanisms for atonement. Um, there's so many, and and all have quite compelling arguments. But but maybe the most simple and and beautiful is is one that I I heard about recently. But maybe the reason uh, that we are atoned through the cross of Jesus is when uh, Jesus looks upon those who have wounded him so badly, he's still able to say, Father, forgive them. And, uh, and maybe as God experiences that moment, however God experiences those moments, I, I can only uh, assume that, that heaven is uh, real silent in that moment, as, as God watches the, the suffering of his beloved son, uh, seeing the one who was there when he flung the stars into space, uh, was there when, when he created humanity and called it very good, and yet that very good humanity is, has robbed him of everything. And, and now drenched in blood and shame and hurt, Jesus still begs, Father, forgive them. And maybe with a lump in his throat and and a a broken heart and tears in his eyes, that silence in heaven is broken by God saying, okay. Let's pray. God, we pray that we uh, that we know that we are forgiven, that we live in that truth. We pray that we can follow your example and know that there is nothing that we can go through that we can't bring to you because you've been through it too. We thank you for the way you show us what love is. We ask these things in your name. Amen.